0: Love Talk Radio. Hey everyone and welcome
1: to another episode of Tri Noons and Absolute Podcast. I'm your host as always, John Casillo. And with me today we have a very, very special guest, uh Stephen Lassen from Athlon Sports. How's it going? Hey John, it's going great.
2: It's good to talk to you. You know, the football season's just uh I mean I guess two weeks away now, so we're finally getting ready to shift out of preseason mode to in season mode. So hey, it's a pretty exciting time.
1: I mean, personally, I I know, and I know you feel the same way. I've kind of been counting down the days since the end of the national championship uh, game, and it's kind of hard to believe that we're now just a couple weeks out from uh, actually throwing on the pads and actually uh, playing some games. Yeah, you know, that's the best thing
2: about it is (laughs) it's kind of funny here at Athlon. You know, we start preseason coverage, I guess, or, or working on the magazine in November, and pretty much from November to You know, right at the start of the season, pretty much up until that Wednesday, you know, we're in preseason mode, and, you know, we've kind of been doing this a lot of preseason stuff on our website, so it's kind of at the point to where I'm scraping the barrel for new preseason ideas, and you know, here in the next, you know, we got games coming up, the Wednesday night game, even if it's Georgia State and Abilene Christian, I think we're all just at this point excited to get some games on the field and and get some actual results to talk about, because, you know, we've been talking about these teams in in the preseason, and I think we're really wanting to see kind of some of those question marks and uh, maybe some of the strengths, new faces,
1: new coaches, and how that's going to shape out this year. Yeah, I think that's a fun thing for us. I know, like, um, on the usual podcast, uh, Dan Lyons and I usually, you know, chat through um, all these hypotheticals to these teams and all these questions, and the funny thing is, like, we find week after week, it, it really is, it becomes a ton of questions, and outside of Florida State, um, we found, you know, there were, weren't a ton of answers um, for a lot of those. So I think, you know, in the ACC, for us at least, it, I think it's going to be a fun And I think nationally, um, you know, I think Florida State looks like they're head and shoulders above everybody else, but at the same time, um, you, you really can never count out the SEC. And I'll be honest, I think the, the Pac-12 might be, you know, the best conference in the country this year. And, and there's there's at least four teams that could potentially challenge for a spot in the flight off. Yeah, the new, the new format, I, I
2: think, is really fascinating because – You know, I've always been a a big believer that, you know, as cliche as it sounds and as we've heard conference commissioners and presidents and and coaches talk about it, I think the regular season is so important. And, you know, in, in the NFL and baseball, you've got, you know, you've got weeks, more weeks of regular season, you've got more games to prove yourself. Where in college, you have to be pretty much at your A game for 12 to 13 games And keeping that important to me was number one. And I think with the new playoff format, you've given teams a little bit of margin for error. And still at the same time, you're still keeping the regular season important. So I think that's really going to be something to watch as the year goes on, is just how strength the schedule, how all this plays out in the new format. But you mentioned the Pac-12. I think that that might be one of the deepest leagues in the country this year. I think the SEC is always going to be number one just from a – a resource and a talent standpoint and just the amount of money that's going into that conference. Uh, But the Pac-12, you know, this year we look at it with Oregon and UCLA, uh, Stanford, USC, and even a team like Washington, who I think is maybe a sleeper to watch. This is a really deep league, and I think the SEC, maybe more so uh, than in previous years, is wide open. You know, I think we look at Alabama, uh, Auburn, Georgia, South Carolina. You know, all these teams are, are top 10, top 12 type teams, but I get the sense that from maybe more so than any other year, uh, the SEC is a little bit more open than it has been. So I think it's really shaping up to be a fascinating year. Like you mentioned, Florida State. I mean, only so many times can you talk about how big of a question mark their punting situation might be this year, uh, maybe backup <laughs> defensive tackle. So it's, it's really an, a fascinating year. And, you know, it's been probably one of the more fascinating years
1: that we've seen in college football just with all the changes. I mean, do you think, uh, I guess based on some of the uncertainty, do you think this could be another 2007 potentially of just, just wacky start to finish and, and we're kind of going to be on the edge of our seats until, you know, the final whistle? I think so. You know, I
2: think a big part of that is just the unknown of the playoff. You know, we're going into a year where you know, it was always, you know, trying to get number one and number two. And it was always like, well, if you can get to 12-0, 13-0, you're probably going to be in the national championship game. Now with the the, the new four team playoff, you've given two more teams a chance to play for the national championship. So I think it's going to increase the the uh, you know the anticipation and you know the, the sense of almost trying to wonder and figure out what happens at the end of the year. And I think we're going to have to look a little bit closer. You know, what does the committee value? Are they going to value strength of schedule uh like they talk about? And and really what does that mean? Does it mean a tough non-conference schedule is going to mean something where if you're comparing a team that went undefeated versus a one-loss team, maybe there's some value to having a tougher schedule there. And just the fact that this is new. It's a new committee. How's this going to play out? How's the new four-team format going to matter? We've seen in bowl games Teams that have had the long layoff generally struggle, but this year, uh, with the layoff in between the last regular season game and the first semifinal game, and then you get a week to prepare for the national championship, I think the national championship game might be crisper just from a on-field performance right away. So you know, there's just a lot of unknowns, I think, in this year, and I think it's just maybe more so than really
1: any any other year that I can remember in recent memory. I think that hits it dead on. I mean, do you think, Ed? I think the committee, being such a such a wild card here, since we haven't had one before, it, it really kind of throws a wrench into everything we know about you know, college football and these teams. Do you think that that they're all talk when it comes to strength of schedule? I know when I've, I've talked to some other folks on this podcast, and we've all kind of come to a consensus that strength of schedule isn't really going to matter. For like, if you go undefeated as a Palace Office team, you're getting through. It doesn't matter if you played. You know, Appalachian State four times non-conference, or you play Ohio State, you're, you're getting in. But then it's a question of I think where straight the schedule really is going to, to play a factor is going to be in that fourth spot, um, and, and in some years that third spot, um, where you're really kind of you know crossing hairs between a couple one-loss teams, or maybe even you know a one-loss team with a weak schedule and a two-loss team um, with a strong schedule. I, I still think at the end of the day, you know, the the goal of college football has always been don't lose. And I don't think that, even with the strength of schedule argument, I don't think that's changed much. Yeah,
2: I would agree with that. I think, you know, just from uh, from the Big Five perspective, I think as long as you're one of you know, it, it, it's probably going to be rare to see, you know, five champions of the Big Five leagues sitting there undefeated. You know, I think just with the strength at the Pac-12 and the s e c has every year this is probably one of those champions is going to have a loss, but like you said, I mean going undefeated is is going to get you in from your Power Five Conference. I think outside of that, we're looking like the Boise States of the world, uh, even BYU teams like that. The, the 14 playoff, it's almost going to be impossible for one of those non-power five teams, I think, to make it in. And I think with strength of schedule, it's almost it doesn't really mean anything until the committee actually shows it. You know, it's, and it, they've kind of done this in basketball, and, and I admit I'm I'm not quite as familiar with the basketball tournament and things like that. But some of the people that I've talked to have, have showed. And, and told me that, you know, when it comes to the basketball committee, that they when they've showed that strength of schedule is going to important, we're going to value non-conference scheduling. Then you see teams, some of those teams that were on the bubble you see kind of an immediate change for some of them uh, looking to boost their non-conference schedule. And I think the same thing goes forward, is that if the committee, uh, for a couple years, you know, I think, and I go back to some of these games that are being scheduled, uh, you know, 10 years, 12 years out, you know, we're getting excited about them because they're great matchups. But if the committee doesn't show that strength of schedule means anything, I think you'll see some of those games start to go away. So I think long-term, the committee has to show that it's important. It's going to have to show that, you know, a one-loss Ohio State team, in theory, could get in over an undefeated Oklahoma team if its strength of schedule non-conference-wise is significantly better. It's going to, they're just going to have to show that it means a lot at the end of the day. I don't think it will. I think it's probably going to be kind of the same thing we've seen. If, you, if the SEC team is undefeated, it's going to be in there. Even at one loss, it might be in there. So I think it's really just going to, it's going to come down to the committee. It's going to come down whether or not they're actually going to show this
1: and enforce it or if it's just going to kind of be status quo as it has been. Right, I think that's a very good point. Um, I know, like, we saw, like, a rash of announcements today. Uh, I know Cal made a couple of announcements. UNC seemed to be making some changes. I know Ohio State dropped UNC off the schedule. So I I guess to me, you know, you're you're right. All these schools announcing, you know, scheduling deals 10 years out, are they jumping the gun and are they going to kind of backpedal a bit? I know for Syracuse fans, a lot of us are kind of, Aren't always thrilled that that SU waits so long to schedule games, and that we really kind of go, we usually don't go more than two, three years max out. But I actually think, you know, I mean, we're not always thrilled about how difficult we schedule a non-conference. So I think for us, this could actually pay some dividends now as we wait. You I know, mean, not suggesting that that my alma mater is headed toward, <laughs> is headed toward postseason glory and a playoff berth anytime soon. But at the same time, I guess if, if you have an eye on on getting more and more success. Um, you know, I would think that maybe playing it every three years, like how college basketball does things, where you're really not going to schedule out much more than that, um, might actually be very beneficial. Um, and I think, you know, I think Florida State really hasn't scheduled very far either. A lot of ACC teams have actually, have actually kept things um, within the next few years, I think uh, more than any other conference, it looks like they're, they're really trying to fill out the system first. Yeah, and I think that's that's something to keep in mind because, you know, like we look at some of these
2: non-conference games this year. We can look at Tennessee playing Oklahoma. I think is a great example of this. If that game would have been scheduled ten years ago, I think we all would have went, "Wow, that could have, that could be number one versus number five. And, and look at Tennessee this year. In theory, they could be a six and six, seven and five team, maybe even five and seven. You just it's hard to project. You know, ten to fifteen years out, who's going to be good? I mean, you have a pretty good idea based on track record and history and and recruiting and all that, but it's just tough. And I think when when some of these teams, you know, going back to the committee is if it's if it shows that, you know, for for UCLA, if they go out this year, they have Texas um, and, and in Virginia, a better non-conference schedule than scheduling, you know, a team from the Sun Belt and a team from an FCS. If it matters, then I think you'll see more teams can continue to schedule that down the road. But it's just hard to know how you know in a year or two really isn't enough sample size because then in a couple of years the committee could turn over, you could have people with new ideas and you could have new formulas in play, and who knows you know in ten to twelve years when we start looking at maybe going to eight teams in the playoff, to me that changes it a lot because if you get, if there's an eight team playoff. You know, I don't want to play a difficult non-conference schedule because I want to make sure that I'm in that mix. So I think it's really going to be fascinating scheduling. uh, And really, the new playoff has changed a lot, and it's left a lot of unknowns that I think we're really not going to have an answer for uh, for probably, you know, five to ten,
1: maybe even 15 years out. And and that timeline is crazy to think about. But I guess um, separating, you know, your job being all about college football as a fan do you want to see the committee get tested this year? Whether it's you know with with only you know two one loss teams and a bunch of two loss teams, or an undefeated marshal that really doesn't play anybody? Um, do do you want to see the committee really have to kind of establish the precedence this year? Or do you want things to kind of go by the book, and, and for us to be able to feel things out before those those ironclad rules start getting laid down?
2: And that's a great question. You know,
1: I, I think you know, I think I
2: would like to see the committee be tested, and I think it's critical because even if it's even though one year isn't enough to get a good enough sample size, I still think it would be helpful. In, and I know it would be helpful in our in our position is every year we try to project the the playoffs and the national championship. It's just nice to have some precedent. It's nice to have something to go off of because you know next year you kind of have a better idea of what things are gonna go like. But I have an, an interesting theory about the playoffs this year. With the four teams, you almost wonder if the committee is going to be under pressure, maybe not, you know, spoken pressure, but this this playoff has been has been wanted by so many people for a long time. The fans have wanted it. Is there going to be some pressure maybe to get four different teams into this playoff instead of having two S E C teams, you see you know, you have a team from the Pac-12, a team from the Big Ten, uh, ACC, SEC, or however it shakes out. I'm going to be curious to see what the makeup is of the four teams at the end of the year because I do think there will be some pressure to try to spread it out this year rather than try to go, you know, two from the SEC this year or, or two from another conference. I just think that, you know, with with the, with the pressure, the political, with all the money that's involved, we could see something like that. Uh, but it'll be
1: it'll be fascinating to watch, that's for sure. And I guess you know more on the playoffs, just just in general, changing the way we think about things as fans, and now going to the teams themselves. I mean, do you think that that teams will be much quicker to pull starters in in blowout losses early in the season, considering if they're national title contenders? That is, if, if they see that extra game on the horizon, do we see maybe you know some some gamesmanship uh, over time, like we do see in basketball of uh, Started being pulled and people are much, much more wary about injuries because of the extra game. I mean, at this point, you know, whoever wins the national championship will, unless they're from the Big 12, will be, you know, one game short of a full NFL season, you know, with 15 games. Yeah, I think it's an interesting theory. I definitely think that we could see that. I think
2: it's going to require a team like, you know, we could use Florida State as a pretty good example last year. And I think with the way that Florida State was handling teams, uh, pretty much blowout after blowout last year, and they were able to get a lot of their backups' time. And I think that was critical to keeping. Uh, y- anytime you have to w- go for a national championship, you have to have good luck, and you have to have good injury luck, too. And I think that's going to be critical is that, you know, if you're a team that plays in a lot of close games, you know, 20 to 17 kind of grinded out type of games, if you don't have time to rest your stars at the end of the year, you'd have to think, in theory, that that would add up over time and where the team could be fresh from, you know playing 12 games like Florida State maybe their starters are more fresh at the end of the year. I think we could see that. I think it's, it is going to be tough though if you're Alabama to be able to pull your starters in a in a 20 to to 7 game against LSU. I think it's more will, will help teams it will help teams with more depth. It's going to help the, the Florida States, the Alabama's, uh the Auburns of the world who have a lot of depth that they can rotate those guys in. I think the longer season certainly, you know, you like I said, you have to have good luck. I think the the longer season Will certainly hurt those teams that are a little short on depth in certain key areas. You know, maybe it's offensive line if they have an injury. Uh, maybe it's running back if they have an injury too. So, I think it will be fascinating. I do think it will affect the way coaches think. Um, but you know, again, it's it's so hard to tell because of the the, the way this system is. It's, it's the first year. It, to, to me, it's almost like you know we're, we're gonna we're gonna have a good example. We might have a good grasp on this playoff almost in twenty five years, which is crazy to think about because we're so used to one and two. Um, but I, I do think, like you said, I do think that injuries are, are going to play such a key role and that we probably are going to see teams try to res- rest some of those starters for later in the year, if they can.
1: You wrote an interesting point there on the SEC. Um, I think the SEC and Pac-12, you know, two leagues that I'd say, like, their top teams, their biggest, their biggest knock on whether or not they'll get to the playoffs is is not necessarily on the roster. It's, it's who they have to play to get there. Um, I mean, do you think that that a team like Florida State or maybe a team... I mean, I'd argue right now the Big 12 is probably only about too deep in terms of national title contenders with Oklahoma and Baylor. Do you think that, that the Big 12 and, and ACC might fare better because their schedules may not be as daunting from, from start to finish as, say, maybe a team in the SEC West or the Pac-12 North?
2: Definitely. I, I think it's definitely a, a very valid point because I think if you're Florida State uh Clemson or maybe even Miami to some degree uh, you know if if you're at that national championship level if you you know if you're Florida State right now in theory Clemson and Miami could get there uh you know Oklahoma Texas and Baylor in the Big 12 if you're at that national championship elite level where you're probably going to be favored heavily in a lot of games and you know, over Florida State this year uh could be double digit favorites in all their games you know, I think having that that advantage to be able to roll through an easier schedule going to be able to pad the resume a little bit. I think if you're an SEC team like Alabama, at the end of the year, when the committee sits down, if they value strength of schedule, they're going to look at Alabama and Auburn and, and maybe even Georgia or South Carolina and say, you know, you guys played a tough schedule. You did have one loss, but you played in the toughest conference. And all of the, the playoff to me is a beauty contest. You have to try and look as good on paper as you can and if you look at Florida State, you know, they've rolled through their schedule, you know, average margin of victory over 30 points, and you see Alabama, yeah, they played in the toughest league, but they had a lot of close calls. You know, that that could end up being deciding, you know, one, two. It could decide three and four. I think it also, in the SEC, and Pac-12, you almost wonder – if we think probably they're going to be able to get one of their teams in there, but getting that second team in there, that's where they could have problems because of almost cannibalization of win totals. You know, just from perspective this year, when we were sorting out our picks, we almost came to the conclusion that there just may be too many good Pac-12 teams this year, and they may all end up with two losses. Whereas Florida State, we look at their schedule. They're probably going to go undefeated in the regular season. Maybe the Big Ten to some degree too. Right now, with uh, Michigan and, and Nebraska and Penn State not quite at those levels that they were in the past, that helps Ohio State and Michigan State. So I, I do think there is something to that. I think if you're, it, it'll help the ACC and, and Big Twelve champion kind of rack up wins and look good on the resume. On paper. Alabama, Auburn and the SEC champion will probably be a little deeper in terms of wins, but it also I think gives them a greater chance to lose one or two games during the regular season.
1: I know you mentioned the beauty contest stuff. Um so I guess to you, who are the I guess who are the four teams that you think are most likely to to not just, you know, be the best but could win that beauty contest to get into the playoffs and then also maybe who's your one Who's your one team no one's really talking about that, that we're going to find in mid-November is challenging for, for for one of those playoff spots? Right now, and I guess I'll,
2: I'll use our, our magazine picks for our, for my top four, we have Florida State at finishing number one, Alabama at two, Ohio State at three, and Oklahoma at number four. I actually like Oklahoma ahead of Ohio State. I think those four teams right now would be my favorites, and I think – I like the Pac-12's depth, and I think it's the second-best league, but I'm having a hard time sorting out the Oregon, UCLA, USC, uh, Stanford uh, teams. Uh, I think what's going to happen is, I kind of like a, I mentioned a minute ago, you just wonder if there's going to be too many of these teams beating up on one another, and they could the champion could have two losses. I like UCLA's upside. I like their potential. Their schedule is very difficult, though. And you just wonder if maybe as a program they're just not there yet. When you look at Oregon, you know, Marcus Mariota is back uh, this season, change of defensive coordinator. Uh, you know, Still, is, is Mark Helfrich still like Chip Kelly? Can he reach that elite level? So I think just the Pac-12 champion, and I think that whole conference is going to be fascinating to watch. But I think from outside of that top four, I really like Georgia as a sleeper this year. I think if they can stay healthy – which they couldn't do last year with Todd Gurley getting hurt. Uh, Malcolm Mitchell was hurt. They just couldn't stay healthy. They had a lot of bad luck, too. You look at the, the game against Auburn with the crazy tip pass that Auburn used uh, to win that game. A little bit of better luck this year for Georgia, better health. I think Georgia could be a sleeper in the SEC in national title race. There's certainly no shortage of talent there. And, of course, Jeremy Pruitt coming over as the defensive coordinator from Florida State. Kind of a, even deeper down the uh the pecking order for national title sleepers. I don't think Wisconsin will get into that discussion, but their schedule sets up very favorably to make a run. They get LSU in the opener. If they can get by LSU, they have a pretty favorable path to 12-0 and um, because they don't play Ohio State or Michigan State in the regular
1: season. Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, for me, I would say, I think a lot of those teams... I mean, Wisconsin is one of the more intriguing teams in the country to me. I think uh, another one from the Big Ten, uh, West, which is, is one of the more wide-open divisions in college football, is uh, Iowa, who's... I know we on our podcast we talked about it a couple weeks ago. Iowa, despite the fact that they may not be one of the top ten teams in the country, uh, their schedule sets up that they could be 10-0, and heading with two weeks to go. I mean... Yeah, it's, they, re- they it's really hard could. Yeah, it. they're two... T- their
2: two toughest games are right at the end of the year. That's a that's a great point because with that division being so wide open, you they could be ten and zero and in the mix to be, you know, a top ten team by the end of the year.
1: Yeah, I think too. You know, especially now the Northwestern loss of Henrik Mark is going to transfer out. I mean that that makes that that division even more winnable. I think Northwestern then goes from you know, slight contender to you know down to that second tier there, and you're really just left with if Iowa can get past Wisconsin and Nebraska, and that goes for Wisconsin and Nebraska too, you know, can those squads get past the other two? Um, I, I think for me, I think you're dead on on the Pac-12 stuff. I mean, I've watched a ton, a ton of Pac-12 football um, in person and on TV since I moved out west four years ago. But, I mean, to me, I, I, the conference has just gotten better and better every single season. Um, and, and you're right, they could end up cannibalizing each other. I mean, as much as I understand the impetus behind the, behind the nine-game conference schedule, on top of that, a lot of them do schedule a major conference team um, outside of league play as well. So now you're looking at, you know, 10 games against major conference opponents. And and I think each team has a flaw. Um, you know, USC's offense just wasn't really firing until the second half of last season. Um, and even then, there, there were definitely some question marks. I think Stanford's um, Stanford defense is obviously going to be great. But, again, offensive issues that could come up. I think UCLA's offense is going to be one of the best in the country. But then it's a question of, you know, like they obviously were shut down by elite opponents last year, um, and, and then Oregon. I think you know, can, can the defensive you know, coaching change make a difference? Mariota, if he's if he's even at ninety percent, is just so exponentially less effective. I, mean, I think you saw how Stanford shut him down. I think that Arizona game was, it? It was an absolute disaster, probably one of the worst of of this uh, this new era of of Oregon football. So I, I think all those teams could cannibalize themselves. I, I know from, from my standpoint, if I'm picking four, um, I think Florida State's a clear number one. I, I think I think Oklahoma has the firepower to be number two, um, and, I, and I think if they can get Ted Taylor, I, I could see them potentially running the table there. Um, three, I'm probably going to go with Michigan State. I, I just think I know they have some losses, but I just think that that defense is, has become. You know, something of a bear, and, and they've kind of become this, uh, this kind of thorn in the side of Ohio State. Uh, and, and I, I like that, and I think that, uh, they could exploit it. And then to me, I think the 14 is, is probably, um, whoever wins, uh, the SEC West. So either Alabama or Auburn. I'm leaning toward Auburn right now, but Alabama could easily, just easily be there. Um, and then obviously, if we're going for, a uh, Surprise team. Um, I think Georgia is a great pick. I think South Carolina is another one. Um, South Carolina is, you know, clearly tested at certain points, but beyond that, I mean, the East is East is fairly navigable. I think there's a lot they can do, and I think, you know, if if their offense plays the way I think it will, and if the defense can at least mitigate losses with Clowney gone, I, I think that they, you know, could be hanging around at 11-1 and in the SEC. Title game and really, you know, contending for one of those you know, top few spots.
2: You mentioned something interesting about Alabama and Auburn. I think it's, it's going to be fascinating to watch, and it's been something that's been kind of going on for for two or three years now. Is, is Alabama's problem against spread offenses? You know, they had the, you know, they struggled to stop Johnny Manziel. You know, really, who didn't in the SEC? But you know Alabama's most of their problems on defense have come against spread teams, and we saw what Auburn did last year to them. Not huge numbers, um, but certainly they found a way to move the ball in Alabama's defense. And if Alabama can't find a solution to that this year, with you know even though Alabama has a new quarterback and it may not be as effective as AJ McCarron was, they can kind of offset some of those. Uh, losses at quarterback by being better, at continuing to run the ball like they have been with T.J. Yeldon and Derrick Henry. They probably have the deepest running back core in the nation, and they're so good on defense. They, they don't have to have an elite quarterback uh, to win 10 or 11 games, but it's that last game of the year. They play Auburn, and they have to go to LSU. Are they going to be able to get enough quarterback play out of Jacob Coker or Blake Sims to be able to reach that elite level? Because from a roster standpoint, there's probably not a better roster in college football in terms of just overall talent, Florida State and Alabama are really one A and one B. You know, I think Florida State much more proven. Alabama has a lot of talent in the freshman and sophomore ranks, uh, and, and it's it's almost like a beast at Alabama that just keeps going. You know, they're a machine every year, number one recruiting class after number one. So I think it'll be fascinating to watch if Alabama has found an answer to stopping Auburn and some of these other uh, spread teams. A matchup that I'm really watching in the first week of the season is South Carolina playing Texas A&M. South Carolina, the, the big problem with South Carolina's defense right now is cornerbacks. They could have three true freshman cornerbacks playing major snaps this year, and, and the first game of the year against a Texas A&M team that loses to Johnny Manziel but still going to be able to move the ball on offense is going to be pretty fascinating to watch. You also mentioned Michigan State there. I really like this Michigan State team. You know, we we picked Michigan State. Uh, number, to finish number 11 in our postseason poll for 2014, I think that's too low. I think they're definitely a top 5-7 to seven team in the nation. Their defense is just so good, even though they have some personnel losses. Quarterback Connor Cook really came on, I think, pretty strong at the end of last season. Played his two best games against Stanford and Ohio State. So I think there's a lot to like about Michigan State. I think they're almost being underrated this preseason because Ohio State may have the recruiting rankings and the hype, but I think right now in terms of personnel questions and concerns, I think Ohio State's might be a little bit bigger. Offensive line, they have concerns on defense. You know, the new the changes on Ohio State's defensive staff with uh, Chris Ash and Larry Johnson Senior coming over, I think will help. Uh but in terms of defense, I think Michigan State right now the best defense in the Big Ten and offensively they're you know, they're they're gonna be able to put up their share of points with Connor Cook and Jeremy Langford in a very good offensive line. So I think Michigan State's definitely one of those teams that even though they finished high last year, might
1: be underrated going into the season. And, and you know, I think part of that for Michigan State is is kind of, it, it's it's a typical um, college football just nature to gravitate towards teams that have been there before, that, that you've seen there before. I mean, Michigan State finished very high last year. But I, I think that people just are, are kind of geared and it's just how college football is designed. Until you do it on a consistent basis, you know, you just kind of expect, you're kind of expecting the same teams to be there. And when you see, oh, am I like picking between Ohio State and Michigan State, um, you know, while, while you obviously dive more into the numbers and, and personnel, and, and I'm going to do the same, and a lot of other people who write about college football will do that, I think people are still more prone to say, oh, yeah, Ohio State, obviously, because, because they've been there, because Michigan State, you know, really hasn't, hasn't done much in terms of contending for a national championship lately.
0: Oh,
2: I think you're absolutely right. I I think it's easy. You know, it's it's so easy every preseason to almost pencil in the favorites, whether it's, you know, Alabama and the SEC, Ohio State and the Big Ten. And and sometimes, I mean, you know, history and and recruiting rankings and and talent-wise, all that matters. But, you know, when you look at Michigan State and Ohio State on paper this year, it's hard to find a whole lot that separates these two teams. And, And kind of like you mentioned, it's almost like you have to prove it year after year in order to rank that high. You know, I think UCLA is kind of going through that whole thing. When we we go through our pre or our projected postseason rankings and we finish with UCLA number seven, you know, we all kind of looked at it on the board and we go, do we are we all comfortable with UCLA at number seven? Because we're not used to seeing this. You know, you're not used to seeing Baylor as a top ten team, but Baylor every year has proven. You know they're getting a little bit better under Art Briles. Uh, Michigan State I think is doing the same thing. So I think to I think to a degree you're absolutely right that you you have to almost you know preseason rankings and and polls are are definitely geared towards history and there's you know almost a proven factor and I think that's one of the reasons why maybe we're seeing Michigan State uh, not get some of that credit and maybe even Stanford to a degree we almost think that you know the past four years or so have been so good under Jim Harbaugh. And David Shaw, can they continue it? So I think that that preseason rankings and kind of history definitely are going to be interesting because I don't think preseason rankings matter so much into the the final poll as maybe some like to believe. But I do think it will be fascinating at the end of the year to look back and see, you know, the the, the USA Today poll, the, the Associated Press poll. How do those do they impact or do they play any kind of role in the playoffs I don't think they are, but I think it will be interesting to see maybe some of those blue-blood uh, programs that we're used to, like Ohio State and this Michigan State debate that, that we're having, how do they end up at the end of the season?
1: I think that's I mean, I mean, think that's perfect. I think that's a great way to you know, segue into some more um, off-the-field matters. I know we talked about it briefly, uh, the email, but uh, the O'Bannon case, um, I mean, on Friday – it was big news. It's pretty much going to change everything we've ever known about the NCAA. Um, have you been able to wrap your head around it? I mean, do you? What do you see as the as the pros, as the cons? Uh, are are we are we far from finished with with what all this means for college sports?
2: You know, I was kind of joking with you the other day in the email and kind of said I'm still trying to figure it out. And honestly, I think I still am. You know, I think you know when I. When the ruling came down on on Friday, I spent kind of some time on Friday night and, and Saturday reading their, their reaction around the web and trying to get the polls almost as to what it means. And I think the big takeaway is that in terms of on-field product, it's probably not going to affect too much. You know, you're still going to see the same teams: be Alabama, Florida State, you know, Northern Illinois, Memphis. It, those teams are going to be the same. I, I think. What we're going to see is is we're going to see some changes as far as the likeness issue. Of course, the cost of attendance, which has been a hot issue over the last couple of years, I think the autonomy and the Obama case are almost hand in hand. I think we're going to see uh, the big school, big five big conferences at least will be able to give out the cost of attendance. I think the other conferences like the Mountain West, like the American, I think a lot of those schools are going to try. It's going to probably increase the gap a little bit between the power 5 and kind of that next group eventually i just think that the schools that are able to provide these benefits you know even you know the the snacks and the unlimited food that they've talked about too you know the big 5 are always going to have their advantages and they're still going to get the big recruits but in terms of on-field product i don't think you're going to see any kind of difference i think the, the another big takeaway is that this could be caught up in the court system for a long time you know the the, the rulings are supposed to take place you know kind of go into effect july 1 of of 2016 there's some uncertainty whether that means 2015 recruits are eligible for it i think you're going to see a lot of this still to be played out in the courtroom over the next 2 to 3 years and of course there's the the other case is kind of hanging out there um headed by Jeffrey Kessler that one could have a bigger impact on the NCA as a whole but i think the NCA is trying to kind of ward off some of these lawsuits and courtroom battles by go- going through autonomy giving out cost of attendance, and, of course, the likeness issue as well. I think the likeness issue has kind of been tied to the video games uh, for EA Sports, and maybe that eventually comes back and the players are, are given something for that. But I think it just as a fan, I, I wouldn't worry about it affecting on-field play. I think the bigger issue is down the road uh, whether that Kessler lawsuit impacts anything. It's just, It's just even then, you know, it's so hard to know because five to ten years from now, they could still be fighting about this in the courtroom.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, that, that is a great point about, like, this is far from over, um, and obviously the NCAA is, is only recently trying to get out ahead of this type of stuff. Um, but, you know, at this point, precedents have been set, and, and we're really kind of, you know, backpedaling. Um, I know on our site, I kind of, I wrote up an article on, on Saturday morning, just kind of responding, I mean, obviously, uh, this is great for athletes, but at the same time, um, the, the kind of vague ways in which they address uh, the five thousand dollar per year trust, um, and then as far as you know, you can't market yourself, but you can, but you can receive royalties for name and likeness. So does that mean that on top of the five thousand, that schools can then produce merchandise for certain players and basically make it, basically find a way above the five thousand? I mean, the big thing for me as a fan of, of a Power Five school that's not a blue blood is the fact that you know, now, now I mean, $5,000 doesn't seem like a lot, but five, like, now it's 5000 a bus for every Power 5 school. And the broadcast money seems to indicate we can all do it, but can they? And, and, and is it really going to hinder some of the, you know, middle-of-the-road teams like, you know, the Syracusers and, and Boston Colleges and Northwesterns of the world that, that maybe, you know, we're getting into conversations with no money exchanged, and now we're kind of, going
2: to be hindered by this and you almost wonder to a degree what happens does this have some kind of bigger impact on athletic departments as a whole you know i think some of the the athletic directors kind of hinted that you know most fans and and critics of the ncaa just think there's a, a stack of money kind of sitting off to the side and for some schools there is for some there's not and i think if you know, if all these things continue to pile up or you, if you're going to give out $5,000 for a likeness, the cost of attendance, the stipend, you know, does it affect any of your other sports? At what cost does it does it, does it come with something else? You know, you can only pay your coaches so much. I mean, you know, at some point I think there's almost a bubble for college football and TV contracts. You know, can they keep going up? You know, can coaching salaries continue? You know, you see facilities that everywhere across the country upgrades year after year. You know, at some point, you kind of have to wonder, you know, does the money at some point kind of almost stop coming, going up? I don't think it will, but it's a fascinating debate that, you know, kind of like with everything, we've seen it, you know, in business and, and everything else. At some point, you just reach a bubble, and then it bursts, and then you don't have that big increase in money anymore. And I think really college football is at a, a peak popularity, and I think it can only get better, but I do think that, you know a lot of it's going to just depend on tv contracts and all that and of course you know to to go even deeper you know i can tell you just as a as a direct tv subscriber you know we've had this conversation before It's like you know if if you don't like sports you don't you don't have to have your tv anymore so you know curious kind of down the road what do all these things mean for the sport not i don't expect many changes but at some point you just wonder Does the bubble ever burst for college football in terms of money? Uh, Like I said, I don't think it ever will, but it is fascinating to know that maybe one of these things down the road may end up impacting the amount of money that every school is going to bring in. Maybe it hurts some of these middle-of-the-road schools, kind of like you mentioned. Hard to see it, but it's certainly kind of one of those things that we're going to have to watch um, over the next probably 10 to 15 years.
1: Yeah, I I mean, to me, you know, I I bring it up because because I do kind of see you know, it's reaching a, a bit of a tipping point. I mean, when you look at you look at how I mean, outside of the SEC network, a lot of these networks have been fought tooth and nail by you know, cable and satellite providers. I know I'm a Directv uh, subscriber myself, and and they still haven't picked up the Pac-12 network. They're still fighting the Dodgers on Sportsnet LA. I mean, these are these are things that they just don't want to be saddled with the cost of these networks anymore. And it just seems like everyone involved with college athletics, especially college football, just sees this like. You know, unending gravy train for 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 their product. I mean, cable, cable, and internet. Like you you won't always be able to to make this amount of money on cable packages. And everything eventually moves to digital. And a lot of digital content's free. Um, I, I think you look at again. You know, like the top teams will be fine. There, there will always be money for Alabama football. There will always be money um, for USC football. There will always be money for Texas football. But but for you know. Syracuse and Maryland and Northwestern and a lot of other schools, it's, it's going to be very hard if, if you say, well, if you say, okay, you know Texas is spending that money, but they're contending for national titles, and you look at Syracuse and say, well, we're spending all this money, and we're not contending for national titles, at some point people are going to say, well, why am I spending, why are we spending this amount of money for, for this product? And it might not be a subpar product, but I think I think the more money that gets wrapped into it, the more these things are looked at as a business, and what was once in college football, what was once, you know, oh, make a bowl, it's a successful season, this is great. And, and a lot of programs could function on that six-and-six, six, um, you know, baseline. And I think now that, that there's real, real, you know, tangible dollars um, wrapped into this, and now not just on the teams and the brands, but, but the universities, and, and now the players uh, potentially, too, with the O'Bannon ruling, I think now what you're, you're going to see is, is these these are all mini-enterprises, um, that are going to be judged like businesses actually are. It's, it's, are you making money? Are we are we making the grade? Are we in the red at the end of the season? And I think that that's going to hurt a lot of the, the middle of the road teams um, down the road, especially as money you know starts to dry up a little bit. Yeah, you almost wonder if if
2: it's not the the if you, if you did a, a program rank in college football of you know the top thirty or so jobs in college football, the Texas, the Texas A and M's. Uh, Alabama, USC, Florida State; those are all Florida. Notre Dame, you know, those are all going to rank, you know, probably top thirty, even top fifteen. Those are probably going to be fine. But it's almost kind of like you mentioned the the Syracuse, the the Iowa, the the middle of the pack. You know, if you did the job rankings, the thirty-five to fifty range in power conferences, you know, how much does it hurt those schools? Does it make the 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 gap between the Florida States and Syracuse even higher I think that that will be that will be the telling factor and then you know of course there's the the other scenario does this thing does this cause more realignment as teams try to shuffle to get more TV money uh, and all that I hope not because I think we went through the last round of realignment and I think we you know each time a realignment happens we kind of lose some of those uh ge and kind of I guess geography that brought conferences together to begin with so you know a lot of changes and i think a lot of unknown is the is the real takeaway for me because we just don't know you know what's going to happen 10 years 15 years down the road with all this money that's coming in right now you know the the bowls are a big business for uh, for everyone but at the same time you know when we're going to have 40 bowl games and you know we're trying to get teams to six and six and schedules are supposed to get tougher for the playoff you know it's it's going to be hard for i think for every year to be able to fill you know, 80 bowl slots of bowl-eligible teams. I think we're going to see some years where five and seven, four and eight teams may end up going just because that's what's left. So, uh, you know, at some point, I think kind of like we mentioned with TV, you know, bowls and and all that's going to, the bubble will burst, and then that kind of goes into, well, does the playoff expand to eight teams or even more because there's more money involved. So, you know, it's just such an interesting and kind of fascinating time in, in, in college football that, you know, 10, 10 years, 10, 15 years ago, I, I don't remember having this much uncertainty or kind of long-term, uh, you know, a clouded view of, of college football. I think this, more so than ever, that there's a lot of changes on the horizon, and I think some of them could be good uh, for college football, but I think a lot of them are just unknown. It's just hard to pinpoint exactly
1: what's going to happen. Right, and I think a lot of that, too. I think it plays up to, you know, what I was saying about if these, it is a business now, and, and it it was always, it was always a fun pastime that that happened to make some money, um, and I think now it's kind of it's, it's a tipping point. It doesn't mean it's ruined by any means. I mean, I'll, the fact that there's so much exposure for football is is fantastic. The fact that I can watch football from you know 6 a.m. Pacific time until midnight when the Hawaii game wraps up is is what I love about fall Saturdays in college football. Um, The fact that I can watch my team 3,000 miles away is is great, but, you know, all these economic factors now are going to really start playing roles, and we've already seen it with realignment. Um, I guess that leads to, you know, the the big question, I think, I don't think anyone's talking about realignment right now, but the the big question that that will hang around, let's say the Big 12 gets left out of the first few playoffs, um, do you think the Big 12 is going to be forced um, to to expand? And if so... Um does does the West Virginia decision from a few years ago lock them into eastern expansion?
2: I think so. You know, I think you know, I'm almost wondering if we could see that scenario play out this year. You know, a one loss Pac twelve team, whether that could be Oregon or UCLA, playing, you know, kind of going head to head with an undefeated Oklahoma team for a last playoff spot. And you could look, you know, UCLA could have you know, the number one or number two strength of schedule in the country, and Oklahoma could be, you know, 30, 40, you know, what what does it mean at the end of the day? You know, could the playoff committee take a one-loss UCLA team because they've played a tougher schedule? You know, it would be fascinating to watch, but I do think that, you know, at some point the Big 12 will have to expand, whether that's, you know, five years, 10 years, 25 years. I think they will at some point. And I think the big problem that they have right now is, There's just not a lot of logical candidates that make sense, and and not a lot of candidates that are going to bring in extra money for them. And I think if they do expand, they do have to go east, because I think you have to give West Virginia some help. And whether that's going into Florida for uh, South Florida or UCF, whether that's uh, going and looking at BYU or Boise State and, and kind of the other direction, there's some good programs out there, but there's none that just moves the needle nationally. Like when you when you thought about, you know, West Virginia joining the Big 12, you know, a top 25 to 30 program. You know, you just, you know, maybe maybe Cincinnati's in that mix too. There's just not a lot of, of teams that move the needle in terms of television contracts and, and adding extra revenue to the conference right now. But I do think they will have to expand at some point. It, to me, it's just inevitable that having that extra conference title game will be, More money uh, and more exposure for the conference. So, you know, I do think it happens. I think the question of is whether is it it when and is it as a result of whether a team gets left out or whether it's a result of they need to expand to add more dollars to their television contract.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's an underrated you know subplot of of the end of the realignment you know bonanza for three years. Is that? Out of the major conferences, no league is worse off now than they were three years ago then, than the Big Twelve, um, and and that's why I always found it funny when people talked about the potential for the Big Twelve to raid the ACC or anything like that. Is that you know the Big Twelve has most of its has most of its recruiting and most of its televisions you know locked into locked into the state of Texas, and and it's just they're very much a in landlocked conference that. If they're forced to expand, we will have to expand, you know, outside of outside of a natural place. Um, we saw that with the West Virginia ad as well. Um, and I just think, you know, w- when you look at when you look at everything the Big Twelve was and, and everything they are now, it's just it's it's tough to see, you know, how under any circumstances they'll be better. I mean, when when you think back to you know the first Big East raid um, and and how the you know how the BCS worked, even before that, when it first started. Um, you know, very little has changed uh, in terms of in terms of the power schools. Um, I mean, Utah and TCU are really the only schools to be able to make that leap. Um, the the number I think I looked the other day was like 66. Now it was 64 before that. So really, TCU and Utah are the only ads. There's there's a few programs from the Big East that were dropped off, but overall, like there's not. The power structure takes a very, very long time to shift, and and the Big 12 might be waiting around too long for for its own good to, to figure out if, if UCF can cause a shift for itself, or you know if Boise State can can kind of rebound from what feels like a two-year lull, um, or Cincinnati can you know show that it's that it's nationally relevant. It just to me, it seems like. They're in a no-win situation. I mean, it doesn't mean that, they're, that their conference is, is, is dead in the water, but not by any means. But I think as far as, you know, long-term viability, I think you might be seeing a bit of a separation that the Big 12 starts drifting back towards, you know, maybe a second tier in the Power 5 of the ACC, Big 10, and then.
2: Yeah, especially if Texas doesn't end up being Texas anytime soon that we expect to see. I think that's absolutely a possibility you know you, you almost wonder if, if the Big 12 would have been better off adding Louisville and Cincinnati right along with West Virginia you could have gotten three you know pretty good programs in Louisville especially you know I think you could come in this year in the ACC and win eight or nine games you could add a pretty strong overall athletic program uh, like Louisville you know, add West Virginia and Cincinnati you have a little bit of a kind of an Eastern bridge. So I think that they, they may have erred in not inviting Louisville and Cincinnati with West Virginia. And, and, and then going back to maybe the Pac-16 would have been the better way for the for the Big 12. I mean, it would have dissolved, but it made it might have made the Pac-12 a little better um, and certainly would have maybe added some of those teams like, uh, you know, Kansas and Iowa State would have been able to latch on to what was left of the Big East at that point. You know, kind of some fascinating what if. You know, you, you see a lot of talk about that Pac-12, Pac-16, had it would have worked out, You know, a lot of Oklahoma fans have have kind of wondered that. Texas A&M certainly would have because they would have been probably in that group uh, not going to the SEC. Kind of of fun to think about how things could have been different, Uh, but I do agree with you. I think the Big 12 at some point is going to have to do something because I I just don't think 10 teams are going to be viable long-term as a conference. I think they're going to have to do something. You know, UCF doesn't move the needle nationally um, like a – you know, add in a, a Florida State would, but it may be their only option because they need to get back to that 12-teams, 14-team mark
1: and have a conference championship game. And I think to me the most, I mean, I think TCU was, it's funny because the two ads they made, TCU was a great ad. I think it was a very natural fit. I mean, you're, you're going to be hard-pressed to find a better, I think TCU, Nebraska, Syracuse, and Pitt were probably the most natural fits as far as um, as far as expansion goes, in in the last few years, um, you know, falling in the general range of the footprint, similarly type schools. You look at West Virginia. There's just it's it's the geographic outlier. It's the fact that they were banking on a continuation of, of what was at that time maybe six or seven years of very dominant West Virginia football. I um, mean, this is a program that has not won a national title, is is very much. You know, has always been kind of the bridesmaid. I mean, they could have played for a national championship um, back in '07 if it wasn't for that loss to Pitt. Um, I mean, I'm also speaking from some bias. I, Syracuse fans do have a, a pretty healthy dislike of West Virginia, but at the same time, like, <laughs> it, it, if you look at the programs on paper of Louisville versus West Virginia, and, and think, okay, like, you know, eyes on television sets, overall fan base, endowment, growth of university, all these things. All these things led to, like, pointed to Louisville, and it was just—it it was funny to me then. It's more funny now, I guess, as, as a you know member of a conference that's now going to benefit from Louisville's membership. That I don't know how you arrive at, at West Virginia when 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 you're looking at those two programs side by side.
2: <laughs> you know, it, it's it's funny too because you know from a West Virginia perspective, you know, you kind of wonder if maybe being in the ACC and kind of being. You know, I know there's a there's a huge uh, you know the they West Virginia didn't have a lot of support from the ACC to be added. But if you if you know if you're the ACC and you look at West Virginia and you put them back with you know Pittsburgh and Syracuse and some of those old Big East schools, Miami too. I mean, you, know, you could have had some pretty interesting rivalries. You know, I, I don't know if you would have switched them if, if both fan bases would be happy. I think Louisville fans are have to be ecstatic to be in the ACC. But you almost wonder if from West Virginia's side, if they would have much rather been in the ACC and not been kind of the geographic outlier. Louisville in the Big 12 to me is, is is not as big of a stretch as West Virginia is right now. I mean, you just look at the map and, you know, here's nine Big 12 schools clustered right in the middle and West Virginia is way over here on the East Coast. Uh, you know, I just go back to, to realignment. It, 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 this Realignment's happened, you know, off and on for – you know, 25, 50 years, even if it's a small move like like Appalachian State or or Georgia Southern moving to the FBS, it's always going to be ongoing. So I I think we're going to see some moves, whether it's on a small conference scale, maybe for the next couple of years it's a little quiet, but I do think we'll see this pop back up again, and maybe in, you know, 10 to 15 years there's another kind of shuffling among power conferences. It's just, to me, I just don't think it's going to stop. Kind of like you said, it's a business, and Conferences and teams are, are always going to be finding and looking for that next big thing to help them increase that uh, that paycheck coming into the conference every year.
1: All right, at um, least we've got a couple minutes left. Um, I guess what are what's a what's a subplot of, of this season that no one's talking about right now? What, what's something that we are going to be that you see kind of? Sitting out there as a possibility for happening that no one's really chatting about right now. Well, I think just a couple things.
2: I think you know the the Heisman repeat for Jameis Winston. I think we almost think it's a foregone conclusion that you know he won't repeat just because of how difficult it is. But you know, you look at Florida State's schedule and you see the potential for the big numbers that he's going to produce. You know, maybe he can finally go uh, be the next guy to go back to back. It's just so difficult. I think that'll be fascinating to watch, and I think just from a uh, from a national view, you know, the obviously the playoff is is a big deal, but the bowl system, the bowl system, a lot of the bowl matchups have changed, and a lot of these matchups I think are going to be better uh, in terms of viewability. You know, we're every year it's one of the big things is to grade the bowl games for me in December in terms of you know kind of what games to watch and what to miss, but. You look at the matchups on paper that have changed. I think the bowl system as a whole has improved um, in terms of bids. You know the smaller conferences have suffered a little bit, but a lot of these. You know I'd still like to see the Pac-12 play the SEC in a bowl game. But a lot of you'll see a lot more ACC-SEC matchups. You'll see some Big 12-SEC. I think you'll just see better bowl games. So I think bowl games, uh, the Heisman repeat for Jameis Winston, and I think just kind of the overall. Uh, New playoff uncertainty, I think, are going to be some fun
1: factors to watch this year. No, right, and I'm thrilled about it. I, I think for me, just some some undercover. Um, I think Rocky and Cato uh, potentially contending for Heisman Trophy. I think is just fun for the sport. Um, I, I remember, you know, the the late '90s, uh, early 2000s. You know, Marshall teams, Chad Tennington, Byron Leftwich, Randy Moss, and, and all these these really fun kind of characters that, that we get to, you know, point to for those who remember. And I remember, you know, when Tulane went undefeated in 98, I actually saw that team live when I was a kid. And for me, like, I, I think that I think that right now we, we have a really nice crop of of teams that in that, you know, second tier, the gang of fives that can really, they're going to provide us with a hell of a lot of, of entertaining football. And even if they don't get their way into a playoff, I mean, they're unlike what they were in the late 90s and early 2000s, they're guaranteed a bid to, to a major ball. Um, so to me, I think, you know, the, the Marshalls and, and ECUs of the world in particular are, are going to be, you know, a ton of fun to watch um, this year. And, and I'm looking forward to seeing, um, you know, how how that automatic bid, um, you know, it, it is kind of fought over over time. Do we see – I mean, Conference USA seems like they have the inside track on it this year. But I would say more often than not, the Mountain West and American Athletic Conference are going to have that inside track. And you know, d- does that lead to kind of a weird, a weird trading of, of of members over time? Does does you know the American Athletic Conference decide like screw it, go all in and and try to get you know every top member and even and even drop some of their lesser members um, to try and you know get that you know accessible money every single season? I think that'll be That'll be something interesting to watch. I don't think we'll necessarily realize it this season, but I think this season could set the tone um, for kind of what happens with these smaller conferences, or whether they're going to be cooperative together, or whether um, there's going to kind of be a predatory nature that gets gets adopted.
2: I think one quarterback coming back too. You kind of mentioned you know Cato at Marshall, but Chucky Keaton at Utah State uh, coming back from an ACL tear, and also I think Boise State. You know you mentioned. You know, almost kind of like a two-year lull for the program. You know, are they going to be able to get back under Brian Harson, the big opener against Ole Miss? So I think, you know, the, the Mountain West and American, like you mentioned, will be the two best conferences from outside of the, the Power Five every year. So I think with Boise State kind of getting back to being Boise State, Utah State, uh, and then you look at the American Cincinnati, been very, you know, very good over the last couple of years, UCF too. So I think there's, a, there's a, definitely an entertaining uh, group from from the the non Power
1: Five leagues that are going to be worth watching this year. Oh, completely, and I think you know I've I'd, I'd encouraged, despite the fact that I'm you know a Power Five fan, uh, I watch plenty of of the other leagues, particularly the Mountain West out here. Um, most of my um, in laws all went to San Diego State, and and I definitely have you know soft spots for the Aztecs, but I I do watch a ton of, of that. Of those lesser conference, I lesser, but smaller conference football, um, and I would highly recommend folks to really tune in because, you know, I do, I, I know you um, are very familiar with a lot of the small conference teams, but I don't think a lot of the national populace is, and I think you're going to find some entertaining teams, whether that's, you know, the ones we've mentioned so far, or the ones like, you know, Old Dominion, who, whose offense is, is, you know, fun as hell to watch. I, I just think that this could also, as much as it it's unfortunate for those programs to feel like they've been kind of relegated to a lesser <laughs> division. I think you're going to find uh, that they might actually thrive um kind of having their own subsection of college football all the time to, to, to face one another. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, the,
2: the MAC has kind of owned the the midweek games, and I think as a fan of uh, of those games, I mean, it's almost like the late night Mountain West games are always so fun to watch. Uh, you know, whether that's Fresno State playing San Diego State, it's almost you know the this this group kind of in its own subset is competing for one very long, one very big spot and they're going to be just like Boise State was when they played Oklahoma and some you know like UCF was when they played Baylor they have a chip on their shoulders so if they when they when they're able to get into those big time bowl games you know if Marshall can do that this year you know Boise State again in the future you know, they're going to be pretty competitive, I think, against those Power 5 teams. They have something to prove. There's always a lot of good players and good offenses, at least to make it entertaining you know, uh, from a fan standpoint. So I- I'm really looking forward to a lot. You mentioned Old Dominion. I think that's going to be uh, a fun team to watch just because they throw the ball so all over the place with Taylor Heineke, uh, Bobby Wilder, the head coach. I think he might be a guy that in a couple of years we're talking about him uh, coaching at a Power 5 school. I'm intrigued by UTSA. You know Larry Coker's done a great job down there, and you know they could be one of the favorites, or I guess one of the teams that could push Marshall for the Conference USA title this year. So, uh, really, a lot of intriguing storylines from some of these smaller teams in in 2014.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've got I've got UTSA at, at ten and two, and, and I know that that's not, that's not a common uh, commonly held belief. But, I, you know, I, you're right. I think, I think Coker's a great, great coach for that program. He's exactly what, you know, they needed to kind of kick-start them. Um, and, you know, like you said, I think it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be a lot to talk about on a week-to-week basis. And so the weekday games um, are, are really going to be much more entertaining now that it feels like there's a miniature playoff kind of between them all. Um, and, and I'm really, really looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah, same here. You, you kind of mentioned it there with the, the kind of the mini
2: playoff. I think it's a great way to put it because you know Marshall's under so much pressure to to win and win impressively every week because they don't have the strength of schedule. Um, you have Boise State and Utah State who are going to be very good once again, and you have the, the American Athletic Conference, who's probably you know you know the American and Mount West are going to be fighting for that sixth and, and seventh best spot. They have to feel pretty good just from a, a program standpoint. But who out of these leagues is going to merge? You know, who's going to be this year's UCF? You know, who's going to be the Boise State of, of years past? And you know, the MAC is interesting too because Jordan Lynch has gone at Northern Illinois. Uh, the MAC is uh, the MAC West is wide open, I think. But I really like Dino Babers at Bowling Green. I think uh, the, the former Baylor assistant was at Eastern Illinois last year. I think that offense is. Is going to be fun to watch, almost like Old Dominion. They're going to throw it all over the place. And, and Matt Johnson, at quarterback, is going to be one of those guys who probably popped on the radar nationally at the end of the season because he's going to have a pretty big year in this type of offense.
1: Absolutely. So I guess on that note, uh, we've been here about an hour. Anything else uh, you want listeners to know, Stephen?
2: I, I can't really think of anything. I, I appreciate you uh, you having me on tonight. It's been a blast. I uh, I love talking college football. You know, Athlon Sports. We uh, you know we do the magazine. We've got the website every every day updated with college football stuff. So you know, at Athlon is my Twitter handle. I'm always happy to talk a little college football with anybody. So uh, I appreciate. It. It's been a blast, and uh, hopefully we can do it again sometime. Yeah.
1: No, absolutely. And you know, thanks for always being being a good friend to the blog on on Twitter. Steven's much appreciated. Um, like Steven said, you can follow him at Steven on Twitter. Also, if you haven't picked up your copy of Athlon, I know I pick it up every year since I was a kid. Um, there is customized covers for every power team, so I have my cover with Terrell Hunt on it for the Syracuse fans out there. And uh, Thanks again for being on, Stephen. Really appreciate it. Hey, John, anytime. Good
2: to talk to you, and uh, I'm sure we'll be talking soon as the season gets closer.
1: Definitely.